Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Reaching the Summit podcast. Todd Buckingham here, joined by Zach Dosh and Greg Steeman. Gentlemen, uh, we get this far into the season, and it seems like we're almost having deja vu over and over again. It, it, you never, other than one team, I'm not sure we know what to expect with all those other teams. I don't think there's momentum. I think that there's good and bad matchups. That's the only way that I can sum it up. I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and I, I think we talked a little bit off air that the team outside of or or you just separated itself. And, and, and I'm sure that they will have some inexplicable loss that none of us will be able to understand. But I, I shouldn't say I'm sure it's possible, but I just don't see it right now. The way they're playing, their depth, their their quality of depth, uh, far and away the most complete team in the league. But um, SDSU would seem to be the team that maybe is rounding into form as as potentially the second best team in the league and, and they have to prove it next weekend they've got usd at home which should be favorable for the jacks but outside of that it is absolutely zach couldn't agree more it's all matchup driven right now yeah and it's even more so than who's home and who's away you know it's it's definitely more like matchup and how a team matches up is more important than their momentum than their record then where the game's played, everything has come down to these matchups. Yeah, kind of what we said early in the season. Yep. Yeah, Greg, Greg, you said it before we, we started airing. What I think it will mean is those first few days of the conference tournament will be great because I just yeah. don't know what we'll get from any of the teams. Um, I still think it's somebody – getting their way to Oral Roberts at the end of the whole thing. I just don't see how that doesn't happen. But in between there, the matchups, let's just say my bank account would prefer I quit predicting what's going to happen in these games. <laughs> I know mine would. Well, yeah. and it's true. We talked about this, and, and, and we said there's going to be times where we go, I can't believe we won that game. I can't believe we lost that game, you know, in the words of fans. But it's – it, it just exemplifies the matchups or how teams play on any given night. And no team exemplified that more this weekend than USD. They, they, they handle <laughs> North Dakota state at home and they get handled by UND two nights later after UND comes off a 22 point blowout loss in Brookings. And it's just, it, it's, it's all until we see the seedings, nobody's going to have an idea of, of what the tournament might potentially play out like and and so uh, i'm uh it's it's what we thought it would be or you though i i just want to say i i i just have to give them a ton of credit the, the way they've handled things they they've maintained the, their health um the different lineups that they can bring they can bring length at you they can bring quickness they can bring matchup issues in the post and on the perimeter um Far and away, far and away, the most complete team in the league this season. And and unless something changes the last few weekends, uh, they're going to be the prohibitive favorite heading into Sioux Falls. Right. Well, I wanted to talk to uh, a couple of unique talkers before we get into. We have an interview this week with Adam Hildebrandt from uh, the voice of Oral Roberts. So we'll get plenty of Oral Roberts. Um, so I want to talk a couple of unique things, then talk the other teams after the interview, because again, we'll have plenty of Oral Roberts talk. But uh, the first thing I wanted to, to bring up was the coach of the year race. You've got Paul Mills, whose team hasn't hasn't lost in conference, and it is looking like yeah, maybe they won't go go undefeated in conference, but they're certainly going to be the top team. You've got um, Johnny Tower with with his St. Thomas team still playing a lot of Division Three players. I think they're now in fourth. It's hard to keep track of who's where at this point. Uh, you got Eric Henderson, Dave Richmond, who are always in the conversation, and Marvin Menzies, who took a team in Kansas City with a bunch of young players and right in the middle of the pack. Uh, who who would you guys, if you had a vote today, who would who would be your vote for Coach of the Year, and why? So my my criteria is like, I know a lot of people sort of discount coaches when they have good teams and still succeed. But I think roster construction is the number one job of a coach. If they yeah. have a good team, 
it's because of the head coach. And, and I, I give a lot of credit to coach Mills and the way that he's put together and retained and has developed his roster. They have the best team by far, quite frankly. And that's because of him. And that's why this year has played out the way it is. And so I, I cannot go anywhere else other than coach Mills right now. You know, I mean, I think if you wanted to get really creative, I think you can make a case for coach tower in that everything that I said is true, but not necessarily for St. Thomas. Cause they've basically only had one year to do it and they've had this much success. So right. I would put tower as number two, um, but totally understand that, you know, the fact that he's doing this with the, with a freshman point guard and all that stuff, it's incredibly impressive. I'm just not going to pick against Oral Roberts right now. Yeah. I, I, Mills hands down at this point, and especially in this era, um, you know, and, and people will hear your interview with um, Mr. Hildebrandt, you know, about the fact that the fact that Max Aismas has stayed um, in, in this current environment in college athletics. Uh, let, let's not overlook that. Um, yeah. His and because and, and you talked about it in the interview and, and I'm, I don't mean to give away the interview, but we all know he could have gone anywhere in the country if he wanted to and probably made um, ridiculous dollars. But um, I, I'm happy for ORU from this standpoint. Deshang Weaver's healthy. Jurgens is healthy. Their, their, their roster is healthy. And knock on wood, they stay healthy. I, it's good for the league for them to be at a high level um, finishing the season, heading into the tournament. And uh, to bring a Conover in, you know, I mean, just, I mean, is there more of a game changer in the summit league right now than, than Conover? And I just, um, I, I don't know what there is. He, he's an incredibly dynamic, unique player. And uh, we talk about Grant Nelson. Don't get me wrong. Grant Nelson's fantastic, but Conover brings to the floor for ORU is uh, nothing short of game changing as I, as I've said, but, but everybody else is playing at a high level right now too. And they're all stepping into their roles. Um, the guy that, you know, Tower, I think, to Zach's explanation, I think deserves some consideration. Um, to me, the, the finish of the league season, um, Jeter could be in the equation, depending on how Western Illinois finishes the season. They, uh, they're playing, you know, uh, some guys a ton of minutes. Masner is playing at a player of the year level. Um, wh- what can they do? Can they move themselves into a potential two seed? Um, if not a three, uh, you know, that can deserve some consideration, but right now I think it's, uh, hands down, uh, coach Mills at ORU. Well, Greg, I'm, I'm glad you, you brought up coach Jeter. Cause I, I think he at least meet, meet, deserves some mention in, in that group. I agree with you guys. And I, I love the points that you brought up. Not only is Max Aismas stayed around, but look at the players that are still on that team from two years ago, as sweet 16 run. You've got him, DeShane Weaver, Carlos Jurgens, Kareem Thompson, all played two years ago on that Sweet 16 team. And they're still there, a core part. Not to mention you bring in Patrick Mwamba and Connor Vanover, who filled some big needs that they they noticed last year, yeah. yet have taken minutes from some of those guys that I just mentioned, inclu- especially DeShane Weaver. And – you just, again, winning helps all of this, but you certainly don't see guys going into social, onto social media complaining about minutes or like they're, like we said in the interview, it's, it's it seems that everyone just wants to win and the, whatever they need to do to help do that happens. And so, Zach, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought up roster construction because that is something we just don't maybe weigh enough in, in today's college basketball. And and the culture or what have you. I know Coach Mills doesn't like when I use the word culture, but I, you know, whatever whatever word you want to use, the guys stay around and and feel like they're going to a program that's going to win basketball games. Well, I'll disagree with Coach Mills, and that's why I'm sitting on a podcast and he's uh, coaching a 20 win team. Uh, <laughs> I do think culture matters, and I've said probably said it on this podcast before. Culture is hard to define but it's easy to recognize when you don't have it. Uh, they have it. And you talk about um, the, the sacrificial nature of a lot of those guys on the team. 
they're all doing what it takes right now, and, and, and they don't care what their minutes are, as best I can tell. It's just that when they get on the floor, they compete at a high level. And yeah. I just think that says a lot. And to Zach's point of roster construction, and, and you echoed that, Todd, I couldn't agree more. Uh, in this day and age, roster retention is is probably the, the biggest hurdle for any coach. And I don't know that anybody's done a better job in the league than Coach Mills has. Um, you know, maybe Eric Henderson um, outside of Shireman taking off, but uh, but just that in and of itself. I mean, if South Dakota State still had Shireman, where are they at right now? It's uh, roster retention, roster construction. It, it, it all matters. And uh, nobody's done it better than uh, ORU has this season. And I do, and I do want to point out there is some serendipity in all this involved. You know what I mean? Like, like Max is obviously a great kid and sees a lot of value in that. And it's, it's very fortuitous for Oral Roberts to um, have players like that. Now, obviously, it's not a complete coincidence. But, I mean, I, I don't... I would stop short of saying coach Mills has done everything right. That's why these players are staying because it's very possible for these coaches to do everything right. And the players, you know, flake out or want to leave, you know, like, I don't think coach Henderson did anything wrong in the Shireman situation. I think the big man got to him in the middle of the summer. And so, well, the only you know, thing he did wrong Zach is he didn't come up with a half a million dollars. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and, that, and, the, and that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, you know, it's it's also incredibly fortuitous that, you know, like, for example, Max A. Smith and Grant Nelson, like they just they want to be at these schools. That That's yeah. definitely part of that, too. And, you know, obviously they, they try to recruit them for part of that reason, too. But there is a little bit I, I don't like how much sort of it's seemingly luck is involved in some of these situations. But, you know. That's just the way it is. You know, you, you got to roll the dice every off season, and you know you better be on the offensive if you're a, a head coach in this conference. Yeah, I, I like the way you said that, Zach. I, I don't think any of us are saying, certainly not even trying to imply that coaches that are losing players in today's day and age are doing something worse than others. Yeah. But I do think there are coaches that have a formula. And again, I mean, we could go a year ago. Kevin O'Banner left for all mm-hmm. Roberts. So like, mm-hmm. I don't think that in that situation, coach Mills did something wrong. And in, in other situations, he did something right. It's just each player is going to have to make their own decision. And I, I think at oftentimes we've actually talked about that. We agree with the, a lot of the freedom that the players have given others mm-hmm. have as well. It, but I will say there are definitely some programs that we have lauded their ability to build something. And I think Maybe at least in the past, Coach Mills hasn't gotten that same, been mentioned in that same breath. And I, I think yeah. he absolutely deserves to be mentioned there. Yeah. I mean, no, no question. There is something to that. I'm just curious as to, you know, like when you have it, you got to do everything you can to protect it. Because yeah. once you lose it, it's incredibly difficult to get back. You know, you almost kind of end up on a treadmill. So, um, you know, if you lose one player, it's not the end of the world. If you lose several, it, it could be a huge problem. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just really curious to see how this continues to evolve. What's the next iteration of this? How does this offseason play out? You know, um, what does life after max look like all stuff that we don't really have to worry about until later. So I'm just at, at this point, honestly, like, like when I called the UND Oral Roberts game, I'm like, man, this is, this is cool. Like, I'm just going to take a second to appreciate what Oral Roberts is doing and not focus on so much why they may fail because this is a really special, this is about as good as a team can be in this conference and they're going to represent the conference well in the NCAA tournament if they're able to keep it together. But what's going to be so fun down the stretch here is I kind of like it where there's a lead team and now everybody gets their best shot and coming down the stretch here, it's really kind of an interesting schedule. So, I mean, St. Thomas and Western Illinois. They have those two games at, at those schools. And, you know, those places are going to be crazy, right? You know, they're going to be crazy when Oral Roberts run, runs into town. Um, it's one thing, obviously, we know Oral Roberts takes care of business uh, at home, but those two road games are going to be very tricky. And then they, they also still have the South Dakota trip. And so, you know, South Dakota, they're, they're up and they're down. 
But, I mean, South Dakota State is going to be as healthy as they've been uh, in a long time, and they are going to be locked and loaded for that Oral Roberts game. So um, a, lot of, a lot of meat left on the bone for Oral Roberts, but, you know, this is what makes it fun. It's, if, if there's going to be a lot of unpredictability in the conference, it's good that there's at least one team that is very predictable. Yeah. And, and ORU is the exception right now, you know, because they're able to keep the roster together. Um, and, 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 and that's, it should be celebrated a little bit, but to your point, Zach, I mean, uh, you guys all saw what Western Illinois arena looked like, um, when they had that, that win against South Dakota state, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like when ORU rolls into town. And we've all seen what St. Thomas can do with their arena. Um, I think this is probably ideal for Paul Mills to get his guys ready for, for a summit league tournament. To have to go to Western Illinois when it's packed, St. Thomas when it's packed, South Dakota State when they're going to be just absolutely jacked up. And I bet USD's going to have a fantastic crowd, too. Those are four arenas that are going to get ORU ready for the environment they're going to experience in the Summit League tournament when everybody else is gunning for them. So I'm in agreement with you. I think ORU is the exception. We have to appreciate what they brought back, the fact that they're all healthy, knock on wood, and they continue to be that way. Um, and I hope every other flipping team gets as healthy as they possibly can down the stretch too, because I, I'm just, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to watch, to see how it all plays out. Well, so I, I, I have a unique situation. I'm on call for work and I just gotten two calls. So what we're going to do is we're going to roll to the Adam Hildebrandt interview, and then I'm going to ha- uh, lead us off into just some discussion about the teams that are not Oral Roberts. So if you guys can find at least 15 minutes on those teams, if I can't make it back onto the to the thing during that time, that that would help me get this phone call done. Um, but let's roll to that interview with Adam Hildebrandt. And I'm sure there's a better way to do this. We, I've just never figured it out. But anyways, let's roll to that interview with Adam Hildebrandt, and then I'll I'll cue us into the other teams in the league, and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. All right. Well, great interview. And we talked about a, a few of the things that that happened in the interview that we talked about in the interview when uh, b- before we went into it. I, I I don't need to echo a lot of the same things that we already just talked about. But again, it's just that building culture. He talked about this team being better than two years ago. And Zach, you had mentioned we're not going to see teams this good in the Summit League very often. Uh we kind of did last year with South Dakota State, but I, I and Adam and I talked about this. I actually think this Oral Roberts team is a little better. Well, I I think you made the best the best point. It's this team that made a Sweet 16 run is still a lot of the same core here, right? And and it's it's two years later. Max Aismas is better than when they made it to the Sweet 16. Uh, Kareem Thompson is better. Carlos Jurgens yep. is better. You know. So I, I think a strong case could be logically made that this team is a lot better. And what this team has that South Dakota State didn't have last year was uh, a pretty strong non-conference showing, but NCAA tournament experience. And that South Dakota State team, um, you know, obviously they ran into a good, well-prepared Providence team, but they weren't necessarily ready to go like this Oral Roberts team has been and probably will be this year if they're able to get to that point. So uh, I I thought a lot of good points were made, but this team has everything you could ever want from a Summit League team as it stands right now. They do. They really do. I mean, fantastic guard play. I mean, let's let's just be honest. Um, Great perimeter play. They take care of the ball. I mean, they lead the league in in assisted turnover. They lead the league in steals. They lead the league in in so many different categories. It's it's, It's not by accident. Um, they're well prepared. They are highly skilled. Um, they have versatility in their lineups. You know, they can go physical if they have to, and, and they can go finesse if they have to. They can go big. They can go small. And and they're experienced, and and they're deep, and their quality of play at a lot of different positions is, is exceptional. So I, I I I'm I'm in agreement. This is as good a Summit League team, as good a well-rounded Summit League team as we've seen, and. Um, and the only thing that could really mess this up is, is a slip up in the tournament. But we all know that's possible. At the same time, 
that this team might be as, as well seasoned as any team in the league right now as well. Right. Hi, everyone. I have Adam Hildebrandt with me today for the podcast. Adam, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So start out just with a little bit of background. So you're the voice of Oral Roberts, uh, Golden Eagle basketball on the men's side. Are you on the women's side as well? I suppose not because they have uh, no, we actually have yeah. uh, somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. With the mirror and scheduling, that would be very tough to be uh, yeah. in two places at once, so to speak. But yeah, they, uh, we've got somebody who does women's games. When I started, I, I did do uh, most of the women's games, uh, but with the mirrored scheduling and stuff that was becoming too complicated. So yeah. uh, now, uh, now I'm, I focus on the man. And then I also do baseball at ORU, uh, you know, being a non-football school, baseball is, uh, is kind of that second big sport that ORU has, and they've been successful in it for a long time. So I call those games as well. So it's uh, it's pretty much all ORU from, you know, November 1 through, oh, uh, first or second week of June, whenever whenever baseball eventually wraps up, or or you never know. Maybe they'll get lucky and I'll get to call games into July at some point. Right. Yeah, and, and I didn't purposely say that to bring up mirrored scheduling. I, I know how that can be a sensitive <laughs> topic. So, um, but uh, so – I'll start off with kind of a, a tough question. We, the the big run that everybody remembers, even outside of the Summit League, is the Sweet 16 run of a couple of years ago. Um, you got this this year's team that that has not lost in Summit League play. I think it's 11 games in now, um, yep. and uh, and you know that is looking good and and you know, high in the net and all of those things. Which of those teams do you think is better? Uh, I think this one, uh, this, this is, I'll say this, this is certainly a more complete team. Um, you know, Max and and Kevin O'Banner obviously were uh, a lightning bolt of a duo. Uh, I think they were the most efficient pick and roll two man game in the country that year, uh, which probably didn't surprise a lot of people because that's, that's where so much of the scoring came from. And, and that was without question, a very, very good team. Uh, but it was also a team that, that got hot and was playing its best basketball at the right time. Uh, I think the floor of this year's team is much higher than the floor of that 2021 uh, team was. Uh, and, and we've seen that certainly, you know, on the, on the defensive end with some of the metrics. Uh, although I was talking to coach Mills about this the other day, and, and he pointed out that uh, in terms of, of limiting teams to first shots, the defense that, you know, that year wasn't far behind this one, but this team has done a much better job of limiting opponents to only one shots and, and fighting and, and being on the defensive glass and keeping teams from getting second and third opportunities and possessions. So that certainly made a difference, but you know, the, the capability and the, ref, the way that these other scores are more refined on this year's team. I mean, certainly you look at Isaac McBride and Connor Van over and, and what they bring to the table and, uh, you know, Mackey's ability to go get himself a basket when one is needed. Uh, Van over's ability to, to shoot over a lot of guys, whether that be in the poster on the perimeter. And then we saw Carlos Jurgens, who, uh, really, in my opinion, was kind of an X factor of that Sweet 16 run because of the way he played defense. And for a long time, a lot of his uh, career game highs were against uh, Ohio State and Florida in the NCAA tournament. Uh, We've seen him become more consistently that player he was late in that year in terms of being able to play in isolation and back down opponents in the post and not only score from there, but distribute from there and, uh, of course, be a better defender. Kareem Thompson just does everything at a high level right now, uh, which is certainly what he was doing late in that year as well. So uh, the the way these pieces fit together, I think there's more margin for error certainly than there was with that Sweet 16 team. Yeah, and of course, isn't saying the same thing will happen or anything like that. I, I actually think it's a pretty easy answer, which team is better. Um, it, again, you're talking two more years of Max, Max Asmus uh, growing as a player, uh, same thing with Kareem Thompson and Carlos Jurgens and, and Deshane Weaver. And, and yes, it's without Kevin O'Banner. And 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 I think what what seemed to show last year is that missing O'Banner and that ability to pick and pop was, was part did limit the offense a little bit. But you've got that in a very different player, but some of those same aspects in Connor Vanover. 
Yeah, and and you know he's not as efficient in terms of the pick and pop game as as Kevin was, just because he doesn't shoot it quite as high as a percentage. But he is absolutely a threat that you have to respect because if right. you aren't careful and you leave him open, he can absolutely go four for six or something like that in the game. Right. Uh, and then you know what he brings to the table as a rim protector is something that ORU really hasn't had since uh, maybe Javen White or Albert Owens. I mean, even Emmanuel Mizzouquezi was a decent post defender, and he's over playing professionally in, in France right now, uh, but he wasn't the kind of rim protector that, that Connor Vanover is. And so uh, having that aspect on, on the defensive end in particular is something that was not a part of that Sweet 16 team at all. Um, and so that's that's been a big help. Well, and it's interesting, the Sweet 16 team, it really kind of just clicked at the end of the year and going into the tournament, the Summit League tournament, and then kept going from there. This team, you know, of course, there's some bumps in the non-conference, but it was scheduled uh, that you were expecting some bumps, or at least I would be expecting some bumps. I don't know if you've talked to Coach Mills about this, but one of the things that seemed interesting to me, you had Houston, St. Mary's, um, even though it was added later, uh, New Mexico, teams that are going to beat you up a little bit with their defense and make you work really hard on offense. Has Coach Mills talked about that at all? Did he schedule purposely some teams that he knew would challenge his team in the non-conference? Yeah, and, and challenged them specifically in terms of physicality. Uh, okay. Certainly talent on all of those teams. Like, there, there's no question those are talented teams. I actually – I looked – last night and the lowest team of those four in the net rankings, I think is 37 yeah. uh, and it's, and it's Utah state. St. Mary's is at number six now. I mean, they're way up wow. there, um, but the, he wanted teams that were going to challenge this squad physically. Uh, and we saw, you know, the changeover in the roster some too, with the addition of Vanover and Patrick Wamba, who's been yeah. such a good addition in terms of his energy and the level of physicality that he can bring. Uh, so I, he wanted this team to, to be challenged in that manner early uh, and I, I think it taught them very quickly the level of energy and, and how physical you have to be to be able to compete on the boards as a team that isn't just stacked with players. Like, yeah, Connor Vanover's tall players, that is. They're, they're, they're stacked with talent. But, you know, Vanover, yes, is 7'5". Um, but a lot of the time, you know, the starting lineup is four guards and Connor Vanover. So those guards had to learn how to be physical. And, and I think they've done that over the course of the year. Um, one of the things, and, and when I asked Coach Mills this uh, last year, I think w was when I interviewed him, um, I asked about culture and building a culture. And he doesn't like the word culture, but I don't have a better word to use. Um, <laughs> and in today's college basketball, they're, they're, so I'll have to think about that for the next time I talk to Coach Mills. I'll have to come up with a better word. I'll get get a, a different replacement. But uh, um, I don't have a better way to say it, but with college basketball right now there's there's turnover and you're not mm -hmm. seeing that with the oral roberts roster um at least haven't in the last several years and some lower level players maybe um have you do you have any insight into why players want to keep stay with that program and what it is about that program that keeps players there yeah, I was I was thinking about this the other day, uh, and what what kind of spurred me thinking about it was uh, listening to Jerome Tang uh, up at Kansas State talk about uh, the 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 kind of tone that he has set in his short time there, and of course he coached with Mills at Baylor for a long 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 time. They're they're very very good friends, and he talked about everything coming from a place of love, whether that be for your teammates, for the university, for you know the staff. Um, and so I, I think that is what what the basis is of, of Paul Mills program. And, uh, you know, he is a, a, a guy who is pushed forward, spurred on by this deep drive to uh, share his gift, as he would say, to, to take what God has given him and, and share it with these guys on the basketball floor, um, which also can collide with his competitiveness sometimes. Uh, and that, that makes this interesting uh, push and pull. But yeah. I don't think there's any question that the guys that come into the program know how much Coach Mills cares about them, how much the rest of the staff cares about them, uh, how much the university supports them as a whole in the athletic department. And so when you have people pulling together towards a place of positivity, I think that is uh, attractive. And I, I think that will uh, – make people think twice before kind of going somewhere else. Like don't, what is it? Don't mess up happy or don't, don't screw up happy, whatever the phrase is. So uh, I, I, I think there's uh, definitely that sense of love and, and positivity that uh, makes people want to be around. 
Yeah, and and it's one of those things you think about Max Aismas. I mean, the guy could go play anywhere he wanted to play, including yeah. going and making money overseas or what have you, and he instead cho- chooses to stay with the program that that has – you know, you could say it's it's more challenging because in reality, they probably have to win the Summit League tournament to get into the NCAA tournament, even this season, which would be one of their better chances outside of that. And and so there's certainly other places you could go where the chances of getting to the NCAA tournament and things like that are, are better. But as you said, you don't know what's really on the other side there. And, and so it does say something. We've talked on this podcast a lot about South Dakota state and North Dakota state's culture. And I, I think Oral Roberts has to be in that same conversation. It just has to be at this point. Yeah. And, and, you know, you see sustained success in, in yeah. those programs. Uh, you yeah. know, ORU has only been trending upward since Paul Mills got here, South Dakota state, and North Dakota state over the course of time. And, and at, at times over the course of coaching changes uh, have yeah. been able to ma- maintain, uh, you know, a strong presence at the top of the league. And so, uh, when when you find uh, something that people want to buy into, uh, that's that's usually a harbinger for success. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk just a little bit about Max Asmus and and his 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 legacy and just maybe even a little bit from what you know of of the of the person. I mean, we can talk stats and we can talk all those different things, but I don't run into a coach that we interview where it happens across the conversation with Max Asmus or another player or anybody who has a bad thing to say. Like it always feels like there's more than just a basketball player, but behind that young man, uh, there's, there's also a person that just does a lot of great things as well. Um, can you tell, talk a little bit about what, from your perspective as the voice of the golden Eagles, what his legacy means to the, to the program? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, first of all, on the, on that personal side, uh, never never too uh never too big to to say hi to somebody you know never so egotistical as to like walk by a, a young person in an ORU jersey and not like give him a fist bump say hey how's it going uh he's as humble as they come he's honestly pretty quiet for the most part like if, oh. if he's uh he uh isn't going to be like the loudest voice in the room necessarily uh at, at any given time but uh you certainly feel his presence and and uh, just just a genuinely good kid. His parents are, are super supportive. They're at most of the games, even the ones on the road. Um, so comes comes from a good family and and uh, just wants to make a positive impact on those around him. And so it's it's you know when you come when you boil it right down to it, it's hard to be you know fundamentally much of a better person than that than, than if you're trying to exude positivity. Um, in terms of the the legacy that he is leaving, I mean. I'm actually working on some research for this right now, but uh, I think the win percentage is twice as high in these last four years than it was in the four years before he got here. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, Richard Fuqua. So I, I had the, the fortune to get to know RJ Fuqua when he was here on campus, who is Richard Fuqua's son. Richard's jersey is hanging in the Raptors. They call him the man that built the Maybe Center. Uh, and if, if he's the man that built the Maybe Center, Max has to be the man that, that ushered ORU into this new era of right. prominence in college basketball because, you know, and yes, there are countless contributions from Coach Mills and the vision that he cast and the staff that's poured into these guys and the athletic department that's poured into these guys, the donors who have come together to build the new Mike Carter Athletic Center and all that stuff. But none of that happens without somebody propelling that Sweet 16 run and somebody propelling the team to success. And and that has unquestionably been, you know, Max as the, as the face of that. And so, you know, he's going to get to look back in 20, 30 years and and see the impact that he had not only on the fan base, on campus in terms of physical buildings, but, uh, you know, the I think about the guys who are going to come after him who are going to get to come to ORU, play competitive basketball, uh, you know, hopefully – have their faith journey enhanced along the way as well. And then, uh, you know, have an impact go, going forward in life. And so uh, he is, he has started off something that uh, very few people I think can look back and say, Hey, I was, I was a part of something like that, like this, this big shift. Uh, and so his, his legacy is going to be something that's felt for a, a long, long time. Well, and especially given the changing landscape of college basketball, we've talked about it on, on our podcast. We may never see a player that does what he did at, at Oral and is doing, I mean, it's still happening at Oral Roberts right now. I, you know, Mike Dom wasn't that long ago, just four or five, six years ago, something like that. Um, but the landscape has changed dramatically since, since even Mike Dom left and, and continues to, and I, we just may never see 
I mean, he may finish second in Summit League slash Mid-Continent scoring by the time he's done. And it, I don't know if anybody will ever touch that because it's just yeah. the way things have gone. Yeah, it's it, it again, it speaks to uh, wanting to be, you know, finding a place where you want to be, where you truly enjoy yourself. And, and there's some loyalty aspect to that as well, certainly. I mean, uh, it's, it's not as if Max, I'm sure he had people calling him, whether they were right. doing it in legal times to be doing that or, or not. Uh, uh, there's, um, there's some things to iron out still, it seems behind the scenes in terms of the transfer portal and all that kind of stuff. But like you said, Max could have gone and played probably just about anywhere in the country. Uh, and he, he was well aware that that was the opportunity, but for him to say, no, these are the people that stuck with me. These are the people who gave me my chance to come and, and play division one college basketball. Uh, and, and I want to stick with them. That's, that says a lot about who he is as a person. And he did, you know, experiencing that sweet 16 run he knows that he can become a national name like it's not as right. if he's unknown to the rest of the country so uh he's also proving that you can go to a smaller school and and get your name out there and become a yeah. viral sensation like that so uh that that hopefully has paved the way for some others as well yeah yeah i'm i'm obviously biased given we do a podcast and website with the summit league but i i am thoroughly convinced that for, to reach those next goals, a person doesn't have to leave the Summit League. I think there's, I mean, you can pull up, especially in today's digital age, you can find whatever you need to find. So, um, yep. so one, one other thing I wanted to talk about, well, uh, two more things. So one I, thing I do find interesting with Oral Roberts, we got players like Isaac McBride, Carlos Jurgens, uh, Kareem Thompson, and even Connor Vanover that, Honestly, if it was just about numbers, they could probably go somewhere else and have a higher scoring average. Isaac could have the ball in his hands more. Um, Kareem could be more more on the offensive end. Those different things like that. Um, yet, it just never feels like there's a problem with, I, I didn't get my shots up or I didn't get my opportunity for that. And I would even say three, four years ago with the Oral Roberts team, you had a little bit of that feel. And that just doesn't feel like that at all now. But then you see times where like Carlos Jurgens has a mismatch and he's going to get the ball and put up 15 shots or whatever it might be. Um, is that something you and Coach Mills have talked at all about uh, in the coaches shows or uh, just kind of creating you, everyone gets their shot or everyone gets a chance or how do, how do they build that? Yeah, uh, we've, we've hit on it a little bit and we, we actually touched on it uh, kind of from the, the lens of Patrick Mwamba, who came in via the transfer portal from, from UT Arlington. And the tough thing about the transfer portal nowadays is you don't always get the chance to know guys very well. Right. Um, you know, you get a few interviews, you might get to know them a little bit, but it's not like you get the whole like two, three potential year recruiting process. And so one thing that really impressed Coach Mills about Patrick was he said, Coach, I just want to come in and win. Like whatever that looks like, I just want to come win games. And I, I think that is the attitude of this team as a whole. Um, you know, Max is actually taking a lower percentage of shots this year than he has in the previous two years in terms of the right. team's overall attempts. Right. Um, so it's not it's not as if he's out there saying, I need to get my shot so I can go run, you know, get to the NBA. He's he's making the right basketball play. Isaac McBride, every yeah. time I interview him, I'm like, hey, what what is it about your game that that you feel like adds to this team? He's like, I just want to go out and make the right basketball play. Every time, whether that's me taking the shot or whether that's me facilitating for somebody else. Um, and so sometimes that is Carlos Jurgens isolated on one side of the floor against a guy who's 6'1 and just backing him down into the post because that's the most efficient play at that point in time. Uh, sometimes that's Connor Vanover gets switched to a guard and they throw him the ball six feet from the basket because there's no way a guard is affecting that hook shot. Um, so it, it, it really is this uh, idea of, hey, we, we are out here. We believe we can potentially do something special the best way for us to do that is to make the winning play as opposed to the yeah. selfish play. And, and they've done that consistently. Well, well, it probably starts at the top. Like you said, you very rarely, if ever see Max Asmus not making the right basketball play. And, and so that goes to everybody else. It's just, and, and you see it with the consistency this year that we haven't seen in, in past years. Um, there's been those highs and those lows, but it's it, the highs are staying high this, this season. Um, one last question. We told you, I told you I'd keep you to 20 minutes and we're probably at least at that. Um, and this one, you, you might have a little bit of bias, but I, I have my answer as well. <laughs> last year, South Dakota state ran the table in, in summit league play. And we don't know what's going to happen with oral Roberts this year. Right now they're 11 and all, uh, seven game series. 
Last year's South Dakota State team, this year's Oral Roberts team, who wins? Oh, are you in four, right? No, uh, <laughs> that's uh, I, I do think uh, and, you know, thinking back on that team and how how efficient that team was and, and the way Baylor Shireman was able to uh, execute that offense and, and kind of what we just talked about, not making the selfish basketball play, making the winning basketball play. Uh, very, very, very good team. Uh, I do think ORU wins that series. And here's why uh, the the level of defensive intensity with this team is different than I've seen perhaps anywhere in the summit league in the last few years. And, and I think uh, Patrick Wamba, Deshane Weaver, the low and Kareem Thompson, the level that those guys are defending at this year uh, would give Baylor Shireman. I'm, I'm not saying they would hold like, it's not like they're going to hold them scoreless or something right. silly like that, but I do think they would provide a better matchup defensively than what ORU was able to throw at him last year. Um, so that's, that's my big thing. And of course, you know, if Connor Vanover is in the game, uh, Apple's probably not scoring 42 uh, again. So, yeah, true. Uh, you know, if, were it not for that performance, ORU would have been the only team to to knock off South Dakota State last year. So right. uh, I, I I think this, you know, I would lean towards this, this ORU team, certainly. Um, but that's not to take away anything from the only team to ever go through the Summer right. League and, and undefeated. If, if it makes you feel any better, and I don't think I have, I really don't think I have a bias. I I, I cover the whole league and try to do that. I, I also think it would go six or seven, if not probably seven, but I do think it's this year's Oral Roberts team, if that's what we were. If it could ever happen, which can probably only happen in a video game, but what have you. But, hey, I've I've done that before. We had to do that during COVID. We had some some video <laughs> games that we created and, and had and made content out of. It was a good time. Right. But yeah, I mean, this this team coach Mills has said it a couple of times. He he knows they're a good team, uh, but it's hard to go from a good team to a special team. Yeah. And he's, he says he's only been around a couple and that was some, he was a part of some very, very good basketball teams at Baylor. Right. So that's, that's the challenge of this team. Can they, can they go from good to special? Um, and they've, they've got a chance if, if they keep taking steps in the, in the right direction, cause they, they are getting better game after game. Uh, if they keep taking steps in that direction, they're going to give themselves a chance to be special. Yeah. Yeah. And I won't ask any more questions, but a good opportunity to kind of show that growth with a team in Kansas city coming up on uh, tomorrow that, uh, that it took a Max Aismas half court uh, game winner yeah. to, to win the last time. So, all right. Well, yeah. Adam, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. And uh, good to catch up on Oral Roberts basketball and catch up with yeah. you again. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I mean, we get we get up to, uh, you know, uh, Minneapolis and, and the South Dakota schools here in a couple of weeks. So hopefully I'll get a chance to run into some of you guys. Yeah. Yep. I'll be at the St. Thomas, the St. Thomas game. So it would be great to catch up. There you go. And we'll all, all be right. in Sioux Falls in a few weeks. Looking forward to it. All right. All right. Take care. So six man, who who do you guys got as, as potential six men of the year uh, in the Summit League this year? And, and maybe who would you go with? So I, I think this is a really interesting question. It, it may seem kind of odd why we're talking about it now, but I think what plays into this is there's been a number of teams that have really changed up their rotations and you need to start 10 games or less to be considered for this. Um, and so it's going to be a question of who's actually not, won't start 10 games because there's a lot of these players that play so well that they play themselves into the starting lineups. Um, Jakari White did that. He's definitely a candidate. Matt Norman uh, has done that, but but just recently. And, you know, you also have Marco Lukic, who's kind of, I think he has settled into more of a six-man role uh, for Denver. Luke Jungers, really kind of the same thing for uh, Omaha, a guy whose minutes have been up and down, but you see his skill set, and it's just like, yeah, that bringing that off the bench, that could really work. It just kind of depends on, I mean, who knows? he may end up starting with, how much uh, Omaha has been tinkering with their lineups. Um, you got, you got Paul Bruns and then also Deshane Weaver is one that I really, I was, if you, if this question would have been asked at the beginning of the year, I would have said Deshane Weaver hands down. I think he's a great player. I think he's had a lot of break, bad breaks in his career in terms of not staying healthy. Um, but I thought Deshane Weaver was going to be in an awesome situation this year. And, you know, not starting, but being just a, a, a big offensive threat that can guard multiple positions off the bench. I thought he was really going to be very valuable, but it's kind of like it's it for him to play more. The 
you know, Coach Mills has to want to take the starters off. And right now the starters really aren't giving Coach Mills a whole lot of reasons to take them off the court. So, um, at least statistically and production-wise, Deshane maybe hasn't had that type of year that would get him the Sixth Man of the Year award. Um, looking at these other guys, he may be the only guy standing that hasn't started 10 games, so maybe he wins by default. But <laughs> I would probably move on to Matt Norman, though. I think UND's turnaround and sort of their, their shift in offensive philosophy has sort of coincided with his ability to be a def- better defender so they're not uh, substituting uh, offense for defense. But, like, last weekend he averaged 19 points per game, and he's just shooting the heck out of it and moving the ball really well, and he, he has his confidence back. And um, I think that's definitely playing into UND's angle going forward. I think he's going to have the biggest impact on his team out of all these players going forward. So that's why I would go with him at this point if he doesn't end up starting 10 games. Well, and, Zach, I, I didn't – Failed to put one player on the list. Patrick Patrick Mwamba has only only started one game. So mm-hmm. I, I think he would be a worthy – he kind of took the role I thought Jashang Weaver would take, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, and Mwamba w- would be a great qualifier. You know what's funny? I'm looking through here. Norman has started 10 games. Jakari White has started 10 games. So if either one of those guys start one more, they're out of the equation. Well, and I don't know for sure it's 10. It's a percentage thing, if I remember right. But, yeah. It's going to be close either way because I think both yeah. coaches are probably looking at it going, what gives us the best chance to win games? And both Jakari White and Matt Norman are in that in, in that conversation without question. Right, right. Um, I, I talked, you know, Zach and I visited a little bit off air, and I said the Shang Weaver to me because I'm going, all right, is his production great? No, but he's at the – he's he's – clearly comfortable coming off the bench. Paul Mills is settled on a lineup that he loves. Weaver is one of those guys that is obviously impacting, you know, the success of that team. But like you say, his teammate may be his toughest competition for six man of the year. And that's great. That that's probably a nice yeah. problem to have for ORU. Um, uh, Bruns is the guy that may have the best production numbers, but if they finish in the middle of the conference, is that the right way to, to look at it? You know, you, you just yeah. don't know. And so it depends on what people's philosophy is. Do you give it to the to the sixth man on the best team, or do or do you you know give it to the guy that has the best production? These are always arguments that you that all three of us have, have discussed, you know, time and time again. So I just look at um, you know right now I go with Weaver, but it doesn't mean that his teammate probably doesn't deserve it a little bit more. And the other reason why I think this is a really sneaky, interesting topic is because you can look at it so many different ways. Um, when I think six man of the year, again, if you go back maybe three months or so, I really, in the back of my mind, Deshane Weaver and Matt Mims were two guys that I'm like, man, these guys are going to be a a real handful coming off the bench. I thought they were going to be awesome. And, you know, some things happened with South Dakota state starting lineup and backcourt that has really given Matt Mims an opportunity that he hasn't had yet in his career, not because it's his fault, but just because he's behind, been behind some tremendous players and he's taken that opportunity and really ran with it. Obviously a tremendous defender, very good on the offensive end. And like we're talking about off air. I mean, he's playing almost the whole game. I mean, so he's really taking the opportunity and running with it and making coach Anderson look really, really smart for keeping, continuing to trust in him. But his career path has not been a straight line. He has had a crowded backcourt. And he hasn't panicked. He hasn't flaked. He hasn't started to look around. He just continued to work. And we should not be surprised at all that things are really working out for him. And more kids would be better off, in my opinion, taking the Matt Mims route than, you know, some of these other ones. Well, and Greg, you had mentioned DeShane Weaver. And the numbers don't maybe pop out at you even more than like Paul Bruns or Patrick Mwamba. And this isn't usually my my look at awards like this, but this one, it just gets me f- thinking that way. A player that played on a team, has played on the team many all his entire career, most of which is a starter, or at least many times a starter, gets asked to take a different role and, and flourishes in it, whatever he needs to do. If it's to add some length on defense, he'll do that. If it's to hit from the outside, he'll do that. Um, to me, there's a little bit of the definition of a sixth man with a player like Deshane Weaver that says, I'll do whatever I need to do. 
if if it's going to help our team win, that is what I will do. And so I, I have a little bit of a soft spot in my voting when it comes to an award like this for DeShane Weaver to, to take on whatever role is asked of him. Well, I think it's going to depend on when this vote is cast. I mean, so is this done right at the end of the regular season and not after the conference tournament, right? Yes. Because DeShane yeah. Weaver is going to be good in the conference tournament. We know that. He's been historically very good. And you know there's going to be a game where he, you know, gives his team a quick lift, a quick 12 points off the bench, whatever. He's historically done that and been very good, and he's comfortable in that situation. Who else is coming off the bench is comfortable in those big spots? Probably just him. Yeah. Well, and he's versatile, and he and he he's he. And I'm not saying that he should win the the award. I just think he should be in consideration. I'm going to go back to what you talked about. Zach, you know, with Charlie Easley being out, Matt Mims is averaging 37.56 minutes per game in league games. I mean, and to your, you know, to what you said, he stayed. He stayed when when I'm sure he could have gone to a number of other places, had increased minutes, whether it would have been a different level or not. He's averaging just under 38 minutes per game in in conference games. What does that tell you about Hendo's confidence? in what Mims does out there. He doesn't turn it over. He makes good decisions. He can get to the line and knock down shots and, and he just makes the right decision. Uh, I, I love that, but I'm going to go back to what you said, Todd. I'm not saying, I, I am not saying DeShane Weaver is going to win it. I'm just saying, I, I love the fact that he is as healthy as he's ever been. He's on probably one of the best teams that are, that the summit league team has, has seen in a long time and he's found his role and he's settled into it and he's accepted it. Yeah. I want to throw an award out to you guys that we did not put on the agenda, but I just, as we're talking some of the, maybe not uh, as talked about awards, defensive player of the year, you've got Connor Vanover and and here's, here's the trick to everyone listening. I'm throwing this at, at, at Greg and Zach without preparing them at all that I would do this, but it just popped in my head as we were talking about it. So here we go. So we may not have all the numbers in front of us and things like this. We may be going off of our, uh, our feel, but defensive player of the year, you've got players like Connor Vanover, probably nobody outside of Brandon Gilbeck with any sort of block numbers that he's, he's had in, in recent memory when it comes to uh, the summit league, you've got Shamari Allen, who consistently on the defensive end, especially on steals and, and and making plays there, Josiah West, another good block player um, with, uh, with Western Illinois, and then maybe players without the steal numbers, but you guys just brought up Matt Mims is what, which is what got me thinking about it. But the two guys that if you want to put them on a guard outside of Shamari Allen, Shamari Allen should be in this conversation also, but you've got Matt Mims and uh, Mason Archambault. Uh, who would you guys pick for defensive player of the year at this point? You know, it's it's so difficult because I think you could also probably throw Zeke Mayo and Grant Nelson on that list too. Yeah, good point. Just, just for the different things that they can do. And I'm so gonna throw, I'm going to throw Trent Mazner in there too. But sure, go ahead. Uh, Why not? Uh, I'm not going to argue against it. You know, it's yeah. like trying to choose your favorite flavor of ice cream. You know, it's that you may have your favorite, but it's still at the end of the day, ice cream. So I, I, uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Do you, do you prioritize who is the best team defender? Do you prioritize who's the best on ball defender? Do you prioritize who's best at steals or, or shot blocking or the most versatile defender, right? There's a lot of different things that you could prioritize and I'm not here to say what's right or wrong, but I, I think Connor Vanover is just such a, He's such a unique player. And the one thing that I like about him is, you know, obviously he's impossible to prepare for. Um, I, you know, he, he knows what he's good at and he knows what he's not good at. And he keeps himself only doing the things that he's good at, right? He doesn't get overextended on defense. Yes. If you come off a screen and you want to pull, he's not going to hard hedge. And they realize that. But at the same time, he takes away like everything in the paint. And yeah. he doesn't foul. I think it's so interesting how he plays without fouling. And um, I think that's incredibly valuable because to me, if you're over aggressive and get a few more seals and a few more blocks, but you're putting people on the line, that doesn't do any good either. He doesn't foul. 
And I think that's so important. Um, they build their whole defense. Everything that they do on defense is because they have a seven, five guy to clean up any mistakes. And it's a great idea. I would do the same thing if I was Oral Roberts. So, I mean, I, th- this, this is going to be a fantastic question as we watch down the stretch, because literally I could speak out of both sides of my mouth and then hop right on the other side and tell you why Zeke Mayo should probably be the defensive player or Grant Nelson, who's probably the most versatile defender and may even end up leading the conference in blocks. So, I mean, you know, or you want to talk about on-ball defender, there's nobody better than Matt Mims and Mason Archambault. So uh, this is a really, this is going to be a very, this is going to be probably the most competitive uh, award down the stretch, in my opinion. It will, will be. You bring up a lot of good points, and, and I love a lot of the other guys you mentioned. I, I've, I've said for years, Mason Archambault is, is, I think, one of the best help side defenders in the league, if not the best. Um, on-ball defenders, you talk about Mims, uh, Grant Nelson, his versatility, things like that. The reason I say Vanover wins it is, yes, he leads the league in blocks and, and, uh, and by, by a wide margin. But to have that rim protection available, it allows the other four players on the floor to be that much more aggressive. It allows the other four players for ORU to be able to get out, force that catch to happen at 23 feet instead of 22 and, and people might not think that matters. It, believe me, it does. And I, I just think his impact is, is crazy because, I mean, not only – it's not about block shots. I wish they would, I wish they would chart changed shots or altered shots. Yeah. Uh, just huh. to watch, you know, how players get into the paint and think, well, I can get this off. Oh, my gosh, I can't. And uh, so I – I, I just think he he stepped into an ideal situation at ORU. He stepped into an extremely experienced group. He filled a void that they did not have as a rim protector and um, and and allows the other four players for ORU to be that much better, that much more aggressive on the defensive end. So I'm not taking anything away from all the guys that you mentioned, Zach. Couldn't agree more. Um, some I mean, Zeke Mayo leads the league in defensive rebounds, for goodness sake. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, and at the same time, I think Vanover is is the defensive player of the year just because of not only how he impacts the game, but how he allows his teammates the impact to impact the game just because just because of his presence in the paint. He's basically the one change on this ORU team that took ORU from being sort of a mediocre defensive team that we've been sort of lamenting for the last couple of years yep. to giving the second, to giving up the second fewest points in the conference per, per game. And yeah. we know that Oral Roberts, it's probably more impressive than what Kansas city does because Kansas city just plays at a much slower pace than Oral Roberts. So like when you adjust the defense, Oral Roberts probably has the best defense in the whole conference. I mean, think about that. That's yeah. how big of an impact he has had direct impact uh, where we pretty much have the same rest roster, add him, and this is the result. It's hard to argue against it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, one player that I would, I think, deserves some mention in that that we haven't maybe brought up as much is Shamari Allen. I think on the defensive end for Kansas yeah. City, he does some pretty incredible things. Uh, one kind of just side thing as you guys were talking. So Connor Vanover transferred from Arkansas, and we hear all the time how players want to get to the higher level to kind of show what they can do for the next level of basketball. But here, Connor Vanover last year played in 15 games, averaged seven minutes a game at Arkansas, 3.9 points, 2.1 rebounds, seven minutes a game. Goes to Oral Roberts, 25 minutes a game, 3.3 blocks. I mean, that number in itself is the reason why he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Um, the voters that don't watch as much summit league basketball, even if he did nothing but block the ball, are going to see that, but 13.3 points, 34% from three, 5.3, or sorry, 6.9 rebounds. And just the tape that he's gotten out there, uh, he has put himself in such a better spot for the next level just by making that switch. And I don't know if that's why he made the switch, and he fits perfectly. I mean, for them to 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 get him on campus, what a what a what a find. But yeah, I just thought of that. We hear all the time about how a person wants to get to that higher level of college basketball so they can show what they can do against that level of competition. I I think Connor Vanover has done the went the other direction and got given himself a far greater opportunity. 
Well, it's more important to be seen. And, and like you said, put tape out there and the, the situation in which you're playing, then where you're playing, you know, it does you no good to play five minutes a game at Arkansas. Like, there's this isn't like Alabama college football where if you if you don't play a whole lot you know that you're still a good player they'll still draft you like that does not happen in the in the NBA um even overseas like these guys these teams overseas they cannot see the forest through the trees and understand that you're a good player even though you're not playing on a good team you know they need to be able to see you everybody has those tapes and so What's wrong with just finding a place that's a good situation for you, regardless of level, and you know, knowing the, the coaching situation, knowing your teammates, and then just making the most out of it. And the thing that always kills me is like these players are in control, are in more control of the success that they have and how far they go in the NCAA tournament or whatever than in any other sport. Like you don't want to transfer right. because you're not having as much winning success. It's just it, like that's nonsense because it's you're in control of it. It's your fault, good or bad. So I, 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 t- I totally agree. That's sort of a little side ramp. But, I mean, they, uh, they, they need to see you play. I, I, I hope there's a trend back this way because right now the net result of the transfer portal is very negative in the Summit League, and it needs to be closer to neutral. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Connor Vanover is going to make money doing this. He's going to set himself up for a certain level of financial security for a while. Um, he's, he's a good basketball player. I mean, you, you watch the kid, the kid understands the game. Good Lord. He's underrated offensively. I don't care what anybody says he's underrated. And, uh, and, and, and I just think impacts the floor on the defensive end more than any other player in the league, just because of what he allows his teammates to be able to do. One other thing that I was thinking about as we were talking about these other awards with defensive player of the year, coach of the year, six man of the year. It's possible Oral Roberts sweeps all of those. And and I just don't think we'll see as much on Twitter on how the voters favor the South Dakota schools um, or the Dakota <laughs> schools in general if, if it goes that direction. It might be more that there's been a really good team playing in Brookings that wins a lot of basketball games and, and therefore wins a lot of awards. Yeah, it's funny how that works. You know, I mean – um, I, I just can't wait to see a playoff. I mean, there, yeah. there's a lot I think I could be said there, but I'll just sort of <laughs> move on. Yeah. Well, I, already <laughs> said, I already said it. <laughs> yeah. No, but at the same time, hey, you know what? ORU deserves a lot of awards. I mean, they've got yeah. a lot of good players. They've been coached well. And you know what? Maybe things, maybe things fall out. Maybe the bottom falls out the last four or five, six games of the conference season. I have a hard time seeing that happen. There might be some really competitive games, but to this point, Let's be honest. Our conversation is all about to this point in the season, what we've observed and ORU deserves every accolade that, that they're getting right now um, from everybody else and from three knuckleheads on this uh, podcast. I mean, it takes winning all those reward, all those awards to run through the conference like they have. I mean, they, they haven't just went undefeated. They've pretty well handled everybody except for Omaha. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying they will. I mean, we didn't necessarily mean to, to turn this into such an ORU podcast this week. But and I'm not necessarily saying they will run the table in the league. But it is pretty incredible. The year after we had maybe one of the best teams to ever play in the summer league that ran the table in the league, a team this good right after that. I, we really didn't think that was what we were going to see this year. We thought it would be more mixed all the way all the way across the board. I agree with you, and, and I and and I'm I tweeted out last night. Is anybody going to be able to beat them? I mean, we just watched an unprecedented accomplishment by SDSU. And by the way, to your point, Todd, I'm just going to say, at this point in the season, ORU deserves the amount of attention we've given them. We have given them on this podcast this evening. They've earned that. But we just watched an unprecedented 21 and 0 run by South Dakota State in the Summit League. When in a time when I think maybe the league was more competitive than, than it is this year. And at the same time, ORU is trying to back that up and saying, we're, we're going to be able to do this too. They've got a lot of work to do. Paul Mills is probably mad at us for putting this podcast out right now and giving everybody a ton <laughs> yeah. of ammunition. But uh, they've earned the, the attention they're getting. 
And if, if nothing else, when we talked about it, they're going to go into West to, to Macomb into a packed house into St. Paul at St. Thomas, a packed house into Brookings, a packed house and probably into Vermillion, a packed house. This team, they're going to, they're going to have to go prove it on the road. And uh, I think this is probably exactly what Paul Mills wants to see for this team to see if they're ready for the, uh, for the expectations that have been put on them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that, you know, we didn't even hit on some of our agenda today, but I think it was good to go through these awards and just kind of see where we're at with some different things, some things we haven't talked about yet this year, at least in depth. Um, and I think the interview with Adam Hildebrandt was great. I, I was glad that we were able to get him on the podcast. Um, keep sending your suggestions for interviews. Well, 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 at least reach out. Doesn't mean we can get everybody. I, you know, I try with every team. So if it feels like your team is not getting represented interview wise or what have you, it is not because of lack of trying on our end. Um, but uh, keep sending suggestions because I've we've gotten some great ones and, and we'll use what we think will work. So, uh, but until next week, gentlemen, another great week and let's see what happens. Thanks, everybody.